Welcome back to Decarb Connects podcast. And this week, kicking off our new series, we have David Lammers, who is Deputy Director of Corporate Engagement at CDP Europe. And we're going to be focusing on some of the developments in environmental reporting and what corporates and others should prepare for. So thank you, David, for joining us. Welcome. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. And what we'll do, if this is okay, is is ask you to kick off with a, a bit of a kind of a sense of how have you arrived at this point in time, this role that you're in, and, and what your background is that you're bringing to this discussion. Can you start us there? And then we'll talk a little about CDP as well. Sure. Yeah, more than happy to. And uh, again, thanks for having me here today. Um, so as you already mentioned, I work as Deputy Director for Corporate Engagement uh, at CDP Europe. Uh, and essentially, this entails overseeing the wider corporate work that uh, we do uh, here in Europe, including disclosure of companies to CDP, uh, but also looking after our supply chain work. So um, essentially helping companies to become uh, more environmentally sustainable throughout their supply chains. And uh, um, yeah, it's an interesting question about how, how, how have I come at this point uh, where, where I'm at right now. So uh, as a quick bit of background, I started off with a, with a business background, um, business studies, um, and worked as a corporate consultant for a number of years then. And uh, um, yeah, then at some point decided I uh, actually see challenges that are um, just just broader and uh, to my mind more urgent than the uh, exact topics that I, work, I was working on. And that's what uh, brought me into uh, essentially doing a an, an, uh, further study program on sustainability science, environmental studies. Um, and that was in 2013, 14. So just before the Paris Agreement came into play, I would say the, the uh, urgency of the matter was already quite, um, quite obvious. But it didn't have yet this uh, sort of um, yeah this this absolute attention from the from the global also media space and and uh, society. Um, but yeah, from there on, I um, essentially try to find ways how I can combine my business background with this um, absolute drive to to um, achieve this mission that I had uh, uh, yeah picked up through my studies. And CDP was just a perfect place to be at, to be honest, because it is an NGO, it is a non-profit organization, but it works. Uh, really closely with uh, the um, global economies to ensure um, we are seeing the transformation from the corporate sector that we need to see. So I had also a good amount of chance to bring in my, my business perspectives into that. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm, uh, I am right now. And CDP itself, I mean, uh, I, I sort of remember reading about climate disclosure I suppose first, maybe two or three years ago. I, I know it's been around longer than that, but mm-hmm. that was my that was when it first became something I, I had an understanding of. But just tell us a little bit about the remiss of the organisation and and how it's shifting. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to say uh, that that you say that. And uh, to be fair, I think that would hold true for most people that they've really, unless they were really in the field, that they'd probably only uh, come across sort of the wider um, uh, disclosure and seen how how widespread it is over the last couple of years. But CDP actually as an organization has been around for 20 years now. So we've had our 20th anniversary, um, but really started off as a, as a startup um, with three people putting their heads together and uh, thinking 
thinking about what type of information um, made a financial market in the first place benefit from having from corporations in order to know how they are behaving on the environmental side. And this was 2000, right? So this was a very different time. Um, and and the yeah, attention on this topic was obviously far from where it is today. Um, and yeah, these these guys back then, uh, our founders started off really in a, in a basement, classic startup style, and actually ended up printing uh, questionnaires, putting them into envelopes and, and uh, postal mailing them out to, to the companies. And yeah, from there, we have obviously evolved quite a good bit. We are uh, having more than 10,000 corporations across the globe that fill out uh, the, it's still a questionnaire, but, but obviously more of a reporting framework each year these days. It's course happening digitally so by an online platform um, and yeah we are also as an organization have grown to more than 500 employees across the globe and are really um, acting in an integrated still regionally uh, focused fashion I would say and um, yeah um, what's also worthwhile to mention is that over time uh, CDP also um, ensured that we extend the focus uh, beyond uh, the climate challenge because that's obviously one thing to start with and arguably um, the most urgent challenge that we need to face and need to solve but um, climate change in particular doesn't count or, or has a lot of interrelations of course with other environmental dimensions um, and uh, two of the subjects in particular that CDP placed importance on over the time were water security which in itself is of course a major uh, item to look at um, freshwater availability is, is um, yeah going down in, in many parts of the world but also of course for many uh, of the climate strategies that we're wanting to put in place having uh, freshwater available and in, in abundant mounds is, is extremely important uh, and then finally the forest space um, deforestation has of course been one of the other major challenges that we've seen again very closely tied to agenda uh, uh, to the climate agenda but also in itself having tremendous biodiversity uh, impact and of course also uh, social dimensions and those are the topics that cdp added in over the time and um Yes, at this point, we have uh, about um, more than 10,000 organizations disclosing on their climate impact, uh, around 3,000 uh, on their water impact, and 700 on, on their forest impact. Um, the latter two being to, uh, topics that are also not uh, exactly relevant for each and every single type of industry, and therefore also a bit reduced in scope. And that, that number of 10,000 who are disclosing data around climate, just tell us a bit, what, what kind of growth mm -hmm. is that? That you're seeing so how are those change yeah yeah um so what i can say is that with um each each year over the last couple of years i would say we've um, seen another 1000 companies um, be added to this uh, set of companies so to say so the number has increased by around a thousand a bit more actually year by year um and i can already say that this year we'll see another increase i can't unfortunately give you the exact numbers as of yet as uh, the cycle is still uh, in, in finalization, but we'll see the updated figures uh, in mid-October. Mid That's when we'll launch them. And yeah, we can see, especially on the climate side, that um, the, uh, the topic is is growing in further in attention essentially but um, from a relative perspective the water and forest programs have actually gone strong grown stronger so on the forest side we've seen a, in Europe in particular 25 to 30 percent year over year over the last uh, two or so years so um, which also is due to the fact that there's still more room for improvement, still fewer companies um, from a baseline perspective that have taken care of this. But it is one one item that we that we see is is also gaining attention. And then on the other side, how how are things changing or growing in terms of those using the data sets that you're building? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good question as well. So on the on the user side, um, I briefly mentioned that the initiator uh, or the um, yeah initial supporters of the CDP system were really coming from the financial market, and that is still the case uh, these days. So the mandate uh, for us to request companies to provide data is, is strongly coming from the investor space, which are uh, which have a strong requirement for these data in order to be able to assess uh, the sustainability of their portfolios um, and uh, lending portfolios as well. Um, actually, as a second uh, sort of data user side, I do want to mention the uh, corporate buyers because, um, yeah, since 10 or so years, uh, CDP has also allowed corporations themselves to use the same disclosure framework uh, for their suppliers. So asking suppliers to also respond to the same set of questions and thereby gaining a better understanding of, um, yeah, how sustainable their, their supply chain is currently is and where there are emissions and hotspots to be worked on. Um, and what we see is on the user side, I would say that in the beginning, it was probably more, especially on the financial market side, something that they thought that would support more from a moral perspective and because they felt it on the one hand doesn't hurt to support it and, and it's something almost like a CSR measure to uh, put your name towards an initiative of this kind. But what we've seen over the, the last couple of years, really, I would say is that um, this is completely switched to more and more investors having an absolute need for this data and, and really being... Um, uh, being scrutinized themselves actually on how they invest and where they invest in. And in order to be able to answer this, they need the data from the corporation. So I can give a few examples in a, in a um, yeah, follow up if you want about some exact sort of investment products and so on. But um, yeah, uh, that's, that's, I would say, the big change that we've seen over the years and that the investors don't have another choice anymore themselves, to be honest. They need the data and they need to ask for it. If you think about the, the kind of last 18 months, 18 to 24 months, I mean, most people that come on here, I think, I think we're all in agreement that there's been this big shift in momentum in the last particularly 12 to 18 months. But over the last kind of couple of years, what, what have you seen changing in terms of the data and trends that you're observing coming out of the project? What are some of the highlights or kind of uh, points of interest that you'd draw our attention to? Yeah, certainly. So first of all, and uh, yeah, related to what I mentioned earlier, um, generally the level of, of scrutiny and the, the level of attention towards these data points is certainly increased, which also means, um, yeah, these are these are being looked at in a more granular and also more more diligent fashion. I would say from any type of data user that you'll um, that you'll have. Um, but in terms of um, yeah, the the types of uh, sort of data points and, and areas of interest that we see, um, one thing that I clearly like to mention is is on the target side, on the ambition side, um, maybe to uh, mention as, as one aspect uh, from CDP's framework, we've usually been uh, a framework that doesn't only look at the current impact or, or sort of the, the, not even the, the past emissions of a company, but really want to explore how a company is setting themselves up to become, to decarbonize really uh, going forward. And will they still be uh, in a position to prosper and to operate in a low carbon environment? And this is really also what data uses and again, particularly investors are interested in. They're not so much actually um, involved with, uh, yeah, I said a company is a 
historical footprint, but they want to know if they invest in this company, will they still be, um, yeah, a company that they can can trust to be a, a solid portfolio company in 10 and 20 years uh, from, from now on. And that's why on the data side, there's a lot of attention on the targets that companies set themselves, the emission reduction targets. Um, and to be a bit more precise even, um, certainly many people on this podcast may be aware that um, when it comes to reduction targets, the so-called science-based targets initiative had emerged over the last couple of years as sort of the de facto standard for uh, setting ambitious reduction targets for the, for the short to midterm. So looking to five to 15 years in the future um, and assessing to what degree these targets are in line with the goals of the Paris Agreement. Um, firstly, these targets are in more and more demand from the data user side. So they really want to see are companies setting these targets and are they also following up on it? Uh, but as a second component, and this is maybe a bit more recent, the long-term perspective has come into much more uh, attention. Um, and that's often also talked about as, as the net zero strategy or the net zero ambition of companies. And I'm sure you've heard or you've used the term a lot also on, on this podcast before. Um, what we've seen is that um, companies had started already to set themselves a net zero ambition or carbon neutrality ambition and partially in interchangeable terms, but there hadn't been the same level of sort of um, um, standardized framework to assess whether a company's target actually leads to this company being neutral at a foreseeable uh, point in time in the future. And this is the, the added element that the very same science-based target initiative will actually um, will actually add in as is currently finalizing, will be released over COP. But uh, yeah, and that's why we believe also from the data user, from the investment market perspective, there's gonna be a lot more attention on um, do companies also uh, have a net zero target by when do they wanna be net zero and what are the means they are putting in place to achieve this? Um, and if I may just say one one last uh, thing, because I think it's also uh, of interest for the for the companies to hear. Um, the what I said before, if investors look at look at the companies, they're really looking at it from a uh, from a sustainability perspective, also from the for for their portfolio. So they want to see uh, will a company be able to operate profitably in a low carbon society, uh, and that's why um, an actual low carbon transition plan, how to transform your business model to adapt to the low carbon society, is is really really important. Um, also thinking of which opportunities occur for you in a lower carbon future. So do you have products or services in place that actually make you gain business potentially in a future that is dependent on, uh, on yeah, lower emissions? And um, this is something that we always feel is can be quite encouraging for companies to know it's not just about yourself reducing your footprint, but it's also of interest to see, are you an innovative company that delivers products and services that will help others to, to do their part of the, of the job? So in terms of in terms of trends, we've got we've got this first one, which is about you know more commitments being made, and perhaps more interestingly, those commitments shaping up to be more within the SBTI environment. And then secondly, people really pointing more towards opportunity and not just challenges around uh, climate issues within their businesses. Yeah, I would say so. And then this opportunity aspect hasn't um, isn't particularly new, but I um, it's it's part of what I uh, what I mentioned this low carbon transition plan, which certainly should have uh, a role to play in there. And as as well, if you have a holistic plan for your company, how will you operate in a low carbon society? Um, yes, place absolute attention on how will you reduce your own. But do not forget about sort of yeah this this opportunity angle and the business potential that you may find there uh, for your company. 
Okay, so that that leads me into my, I guess, a next area of questioning for you, which is, you know, whether whether you're focused on what the energy intensive sectors are doing, which is very much Decarb Connects field of vision, or whether you're looking more generally at what corporates and industry are doing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in in how this kind of uptick in targets and the ambitions that people are stating, how is it actually affecting reporting content and reporting mm-hmm. activity? Obviously, you've talked about it, obviously leading to a growth in the number of people reporting, but how is it actually changing the, the data and the content that you see? So uh, firstly, I, I would say from a reporting perspective, if we uh, think about the, the long-term targets, the net zero targets that are just described uh, that look into 20 years in the future, 30 years in the future, there will be higher attention and, and higher need to report accurately on your progress against these targets. So let's say maybe three or four years uh, ago, the, the main interest of a, of a reader, of a data user may have been on which target have you already set, but uh, going forward, we will see more attention on, yeah, are you on track to this? So also from a reporter perspective, I think this is where, where companies will, of course, have to um, establish solid tracking mechanisms uh, where they stand in respect to these targets in, in particular. Um, and for the for the hard to abate sectors that uh, you also mentioned yourself, where um, everyone is aware that the solutions right now to achieve these targets aren't uh, actually in place, it will also be uh, important to, to um, uh, yeah, to report on and, and um, bring about some transparency on what are you investing to um, to make those solutions happen? I think we're all aware we don't know the solution yet, but uh, investors will want to see: Are you putting down money into research projects? Where's your R and D spending going to? Is it essentially still going into the same technologies and just improving them, or is it also going into some type of disruptive uh, disruptive technologies? Um, yeah, and also essentially, are you um, still making I, um, I would say regular progress or are you putting all your bets on this one big emerging technology that you hope to see uh, coming into place in 10 years because that of course may also be uh, a, a big uh, a big bet that uh, yeah may not be fully satisfying for for investors to see so yeah where are you going in, in the future what is your ambition but also how are you aiming to achieve this i think is, is going to be a big question for the reporting side going forward the other side of as people set targets and as, as they state ambitions and as they report more and more, I imagine that the kind of questioning of just how is my data actually used probably only gains significance. So mm-hmm. I mean, we've heard this from a couple of our members, the sort of an interest in how the data submitted through CDP is actually used by uh, investors, mm-hmm. whether at capital market scale or, or other. Can you can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, certainly, certainly. And uh, I believe it's an important question because uh, after all, we know it's a big effort for corporations to pull these data together. It's also uh, often, um, yeah, thanks to the, the very strong commitment that we see from individuals in their corporate sustainability departments that when the deadline for reporting approaches are, are spending uh, long days and, and nights partially to bring this data into good shape. So I think it's an absolute, uh, absolutely fair and valid question to ask. Um, maybe to to start with mentioning one aspect that I hadn't talked too much about so far, uh, besides providing this reporting framework, of course, CDP also scores the companies that report through us. So uh, we essentially assign a, le- uh, a score between A and D, uh, indicating uh, from a fairly holistic fashion, I would say, how advanced we see a company in uh, not only their, their the reductions that they have already achieved, but in setting themselves up, uh, making themselves transition ready, so to say, from a governance perspective procedural setup and so on and so forth. Um, and these sco- 
scores actually can be a very good proxy for where the company stands. And that's why data users like to really um, build them into their investment products right now. So to give a few example, um, Stocks, who are the, the index provider for the German stock index, they have built uh, a couple of stock indices where investors can decide, for instance, only to invest in companies that have achieved a CDPA score or a B score. Uh, you can actually, yeah, make the scope as, as you like, but the, the score is essentially the pre-filter for this. Um, Similarly, Amundi, the biggest asset manager in Europe, has set up a climate action fund, which essentially takes the complete investment universe, but then also uses CDP scores and the science-based target commitment uh, as a filter to then sort of lower the investment universe and uh, into, into a dedicated set, which then the fund managers can essentially pick and choose from. But uh, being used as a pre-filter is, is one of these. Um, but yeah, besides the scores, um, the, the data itself is also being used in various forms, of course. Uh, so firstly, as said, on the target side, um, this can actually now be used and, and is being used also more uh, from investors to try to identify the temperature alignment of their portfolio. So if they know um, the, the um, what we call the temperature alignment of each of their companies, um, meaning if a company pursues on their uh, decarbonization ambition, would this fall in line with a two degree future or 1.5 degree or three degree future and trying to aggregate this, you can essentially derive um, the, the so-called temperature alignment of your portfolio. And uh, this is something that CDP has also been working on with, uh, with some investors lately and um, is of course a very powerful tool for investors to make use of the target data that companies have been uh, responding. Yeah, I can, I can almost feel the, the kind of amongst the listener base, a kind of equal combination of, oh, that's exciting. And oh, blimey, that's terrifying. I, you know, for companies that have a, a more challenging transition process to go through, that kind of filtering process obviously causes some alarm, doesn't it? And whether it will ultimately prevent them from getting funding that they need or the priced funding that they need in order mm. To, to, mm. to do the transition work. Yeah. So firstly, I think it's uh, it's yeah again a, a fair remark to to make. Um, firstly, I would say that uh, CDP has usually taken an approach to uh, be somewhat sector agnostic, so we don't uh, outrule any sectors from also getting into a good scoring band in the, in the first place. And we have actually seen uh, quite some companies from the um, yeah also what we would consider uh, hard to abate sectors up there in the uh, in the A list range uh, in the recent past. Um, and um, that is because, as I said, we are aiming to, to really look at companies holistically, um, look at the governance structures, look at the processes that they've put in place, uh, where's the accountability on, on the climate side. Um, and frankly speaking, you can also set an ambitious target uh, without yet exactly knowing how you'll get there, right? And this is probably what uh, we will need to see from the hard to abate sectors, especially when it comes to this long-term ambition. Um, while you shouldn't over count on, on sort of these, these innovative technologies to be happen, you can also, you should express a sense of trust that no matter what happens, this is the ambition that you're setting for yourselves. And if this is taking place, if the forward outlook is right, um, then there shouldn't be a fear from any of these hard to abate uh, companies that they'll be ruled out from an investment perspective. Quite the opposite, uh, I would actually say, um, because we all know the amount of investment that is required in these companies also needs to come from somewhere. And I think I would say there's a lot of investors that are excited to invest in these companies and to help them transition. They just want to have the assurance that the ambition is really there. The other thing, I guess, that's interesting around 
your space at the moment is you know, you've talked about this kind of the volume increase of people reporting amazing the increase in targets that people are committed to brilliant but i mean overall one of the most interesting things about climate reporting i think is in the last three months i don't know i feel like every day or certainly several times a week there are articles that refer to or are specifically talking about kind of changing expectations of climate reporting and increasingly this kind of went timeline towards perhaps mandatory reporting and, and, and so forth. So talk to us about both of those things. Firstly, you know, what are those uh, kind of increasing expectations around reporting and what, what might that mean for how people report through CDP in the short term? And then secondly, this movement towards mandatory reporting and what that might mean. So what we have seen is that um, there has been a lot of transparency already on the on the side of the big and, and stock listed companies. They're also used to this type of reporting through the annual reports or through their uh, framework like CDP. But where we have seen less transparency in the uh, recent uh, past is certainly on, on some of the smaller companies, but also on the private companies. And um, this is what we'll also see coming up more in a mandatory space. So uh, to take the example of Europe, for instance, we currently have a regulation in place, the Non-Financial Reporting Directive which is however mostly still limited to um, larger listed companies and then to be honest also keeps the items fairly broad it still allows a lot of uh, freedom how to report and, and where to report and so on and so forth now on the mandatory side what we can definitely see is the corporate sustainability reporting directive meant to come into place into uh, 2024 asking companies to also uh, uh, also smaller companies to report be involved in, in this but also extending the criteria into to looking into uh, the EU taxonomy, but also the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures as a reporting requirement. And um, yeah, this is what we see happening on the mandatory side. What I would say, though, is while on the one hand, I think hopes are high that mandatory reporting will um, yeah, also uh, bring about a uh, different level of, of accountability and then also uh, bring about um, the necessary changes, what we've seen in the past is that mandatory often starts with the minimum requirements and, and on a minimum level. And that's why we believe, even though a mandatory reporting comes into place, um, there's still a need to step up above that and for companies to to not just fall down on that to be honest many of the companies that we're working with that you are working with are anyways way beyond what is going to come into place as a mandatory regulation in the foreseeable future is my is my gut feeling so we need to also maintain this uh, sense of leadership and stepping above and beyond of what's actually mandatory and required because if mandatory reporting would solve it all then i think um, yeah we also as an organization would be would be just happy to uh, uh, to sort of uh, put down our tents and then uh, leave it to that space. It's really important to happen. But uh, yeah, we do still see there being a need for, for um, reporting that goes beyond this from a voluntary fashion. All right. So so kind of a final area of questioning that I think is interesting is, is this idea, I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning, this uh, gradual shift that CDP has been making to not just look at climate, but to look at water, deforestation, reforestation. If, if companies in general were taking that more integrated approach to their environmental reporting, 
What would reporting drive within a company like that? Why is it so essential? Yeah, uh, fair, fair question. And I should mention indeed that, uh, well, um, I did mention in the beginning that CDP currently has these three sort of distinct environmental themes that companies are asked to report on. Uh, indeed, the idea and ambition being to integrate these themes more in the foreseeable future and ask companies to report on these in this more integration fashion, as, as you mentioned yourself. So. Firstly, I would say that um, there's obviously a lot of synergies if you report on, on uh, themes that uh, seem distinct, but actually have a lot of, uh, of, of overlaps in a more integrated fashion. So just to give you a very practical example, we're currently asking companies, some companies essentially three times uh, if their governance processes capture, um, uh, let's say, climate uh, or capture water items or capture forest uh, items, uh, respectively, in three distinct questionnaires. So if you were to integrate this, it's essentially, uh, yeah, three questions get boiled down into one and you just have to respond once and then sort of tick some more, more boxes in that response. So I think that's where it starts from. But uh, from this, um, yeah, really more action and, and leadership perspective, what we really want to see is that uh, companies uh, start to think about these in a more integrated fashion, just because of all these cross effects that I mentioned in the beginning that we see between these environmental dimensions. So if we take a food company, for instance, that is currently uh, on the one hand reporting on their uh, climate ambition and the action they're putting in place, and then sort of separately being asked to report on what they're doing to, to stop deforestation in their supply chains, it's essentially one and the same, because in order to achieve their decommunization ambition, which is mostly related to their supply chain, they will need to ensure that the food that they're sourcing isn't coming from areas that have been locked. Uh, and so integrating these two elements essentially just ensures you're uh, not isolating uh, any of both out, but you're, you're really looking at it from a, from an action perspective, because that's that's where it needs to come from. And water, likewise, as I said, since it's so essential to uh, the, the decommunization practices that you, that you need to implement, um, if you don't ensure that you have decent amount of fresh water available at the factory where you're just uh, about to implement a new technology, then uh, this will uh, be a problem also for your decarbonization efforts and yeah this is clearly what's uh why an integrated view and perspective is essentially so so interesting and and uh, also going to be important i would say um yeah and uh, finally and this is maybe um uh, yeah, something uh, just just also to to have in, in mind for the you know longer term future. Um, as you know, there are also even more what we would consider planetary boundaries than even the ones that we've been speaking about before. Right, the attention on the climate crisis has been so high because it's yeah seen as the one with the most dramatic and and uh, overarching impacts. But uh, we haven't even started to talk about waste or the nutrient cycles or oceans and so on and so forth. So uh, if we look further ahead into the future, uh, at some point it just doesn't make sense to ask individual questions about these things anymore and to to ask i don't know also a responder to respond to 10 different questionnaires you want to know are we uh, ensuring our planet is uh, staying in a healthy uh, environment and we're not crossing any of those boundaries so i think reporting bit by bit will explore more and more into these dimensions to ensure we are in a safe operating space not just from a climate perspective yeah, I think it is fascinating how all of those kind of areas are so deeply interlinked and sort of better earlier questioning of new suppliers, new products, everything, you know, can can feed 
a stronger, more integrated strategy across that that true sustainability outlook. Absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, you, for those who are listening in, um, I guess it's like the last week of September, we're hoping to launch this. David is actually joining us next week at uh, Decarb Connects Europe event. So if you would like to come and interrogate and poke around in the issue of uh, climate reporting some more, do come and join us at that. Um, but David, thanks again. Absolute pleasure. Thanks. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing or hearing some of the audience back here at the conference very soon. Many thanks for listening to the Decarb Connect podcast. We work with clients across the industrial sectors, specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network, our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex at ac at decarbconnect.com. Thanks for listening.